My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to a Watch Out for Parallels extra Yo! <laughs> and this week we are reading your responses to uh, Jet Grind slash Set Radio, uh, which we talked about last week. Do you, Which one do you like better? Um, I I like Jet Grind Radio a little bit better because it's descriptive of what oh of what happens in there. Yeah, because like Jet Set means like is it like the Jet Set is a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like to Jet is Set is to be a guy in the '60s who flies on yeah. Pan Am. Yeah, like to be a Jet Set is somebody who like smokes on a plane. Mm-hmm. You know, and to be a jet grind is is to be a beat. Yeah, is to be I guess to be to be a rude rude yeah, boy, yeah. which is also a ska kid from <laughs> England in the eighties, yeah. and or, or or a Jamaican street kid. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So who who knows? But I think I like Jet Grind Radio. Yeah, that, that, well. that could also be just because that's what it was called when I played it, and when yeah. I saw Jet Set Radio Future, I was like, "That's weird." Yeah. So, yeah. What does that mean? The but, fear yeah. of the unfamiliar. Um. um yeah. Or go ahead. Uh, I was just going to take us in. So we have a little bit of follow-up from the Brave Fencer Masashi episode to uh, to clear out first. We had a couple of people write in. Um, I'm going to read Lucas's response via contact. But uh, Sporky also um, gave us basically the same information. But uh, yeah, a note about wind and sky being separate elements. Uh, we made a, a, a kind of a point of saying, what, when that happened in Brave Fencer Musashi. He continues, the elements in this game are taken from philosophy in Japanese Buddhism and were used by real-life Musashi to relate elements of battle in his book, The Book of Five Rings. The element of sky is translated from the Japanese word Sora, which can be translated as void or heaven. Musashi used it to describe the mindset needed in battle intuiting the unseen. Uh, and he finishes out with a quote, by knowing things exist, you can know that which does not exist. No. Oh. That, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. A little bit, of, little bit of cultural context that I did not have, so I appreciate everybody. There's a part, that last quote reminds me, and I, I won't, it won't be in the show notes because I can't remember where it is. There's an X-Men comic where Wolverine smells something that isn't there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like he smells like a hole where there should be something. And I remember oh, yeah. I was thinking like, that's dumb. <laughs> um, like he was smelling the sky. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, the, the, the monster that you can only identify where it is by listening for the silence. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So our next response, um, after quite a while, mm-hmm. um, we have an audio response from Brayton. Yeah. Of uh, Teenage Dirtbags and, and Friendship, known, known for those two things. <laughs> Yeah, it is always uh, nice to hear those. So we'll cut that in now. Hi, Gary and Cole. It's Brayden Cameron from Teenage Dirtbag. How are you? You can't answer. Okay. So I just wanted to give a quick message about my thoughts on Jet Grind Radio, as I never played Jet Set Radio and have no thoughts on that. But the game's great, but it wouldn't have been great if it weren't for the amazing soundtrack, which hopefully you've talked about, and uh, how much I absolutely love Shibuya K uh, music. And I, I downloaded a bunch of it illegally following the uh, <laughs> following playing this game. And uh, apparently, my downstairs neighbors right now are building an ark, so you might hear some some banging. But uh, if you didn't mention it, uh, Shibuya K uh, is it started out as in the, you know, of course, in the 90s, and it was um, based on uh, this kind of shopping center that would play this music, and that's how it got its name. Um, 
and these like DJs and Japanese artists were just kind of reinterpreting 1960s pop music uh, through a sort of Japanese lens. And that's how you have bands like Chibomato and Pizzicato 5 and some other ones, Buffalo Daughter, things like that. Um, yeah, great game. Uh, but again, without the soundtrack, it would have just been like a metaphor for uh, like uh, old versus new and the abuse of power in the police force. Um, and that's just way too heavy for me. Oh yeah, so that's all I have to say. So I will talk to you later. So I had no, I had none of that context um, for where the music came from or what it was trying to emulate. Uh, so I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with with two of those bands that he name checked, um, and didn't really put the connection together myself either, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool. Yeah. And it's interesting because like I can hear elements. Um, I like uh, Pizzicato Five. I dislike Chibomato, but I can hear elements mm-hmm. of it in in this. So it is a uh, yeah. Thanks, Brayton. Yeah, I hope that your neighbors were able to build that arc. Yeah, I hope so too. And I hope that when they uh, when along comes the floody floody, you can bring <laughs> me and call your buddy buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and, That's and, three so far. Um. Yeah, and, uh, Elizabeth was singing that song because she had it stuck in her head, and I thought it was. Um, she kind of mumbled part of it and I was joking about it being like, God came to Noah and wrapped him in some nori nori. Um, <laughs> like I see like yeah, yeah, God, God, God is Kronos. Yeah. Yeah. Like eating him as a sushi platter. <laughs> like, yes. God is Kronos or part of the Kronos quartet. Yes. <laughs> um, is, is that song like strictly a construct of the Simpsons? No, no, it's actually... a real song. Okay, Elizabeth cool. is not a big Simpson. Like she doesn't know them very well, uh-huh. but she used to be a religious kid, hmm. and uh, and used to sing that song. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Brayton, and thank you, Simpsons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if you would be, if you would like to be like Brayton and send in audio, uh, you can do that at uh, uh, Cole at duckfeed.tv. We reserve the right to edit that, like we do with all the written stuff. So yes. just so you're aware. Yes, um, but yeah, we appreciate it. It's been it's been some time. It's been some time since we've had a uh, had an audio response. Um, so Elysio says via contact, Jet Set Gary and Cole. Um, the uh, growing up, I was pretty obsessed with all things anime, comic book, video game, and Japanese. I knew I loved Sega, having grown up with a Genesis and a Game Gear. But besides Fantasy Star Online, I wasn't sure if I liked my Dreamcast or not. Enter my jet-setting future. This game was loud, colorful, different, and it had such a different game feel and perspective on gameplay than other extreme sports games at the time. I was obsessed with Tony Hawk's games and their clones before Jet Set, but Jet Set was a different beast. Jet Set oozed fun, style, and confidence, and it was hard as hell to play as a young man, but when I beat it, I felt like a cel-shaded, graffiti-tagging king. To keep this short, Jet Set, Jet Grind, and Jet Set Radio Future really impacted me. I guess I got into them at the right age with the right catalyst for when I discovered them. Jet Set Radio Future was the sole reason I mowed yards all around my neighborhood to save an original Xbox. Those games even totally changed the type of music I enjoyed and how I looked at style and similar games from there on. You could tell the devs had a lot of fun uh, with this series and really wore their hearts on their digital sleeves. Between the HD version on PS3 and my original Dreamcast copy, I still love to play the game, but I wish Sega would publish an HD Jet Set Radio Future or potentially even work on a new entry. It would really mean a lot to a lot of the game-playing folks I know. This is Professor A signing off. Sayonara. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, uh, thanks, Alicia. <laughs> um, I think that it's funny that you say that the... Um, the people who made it clearly had fun uh, because when you watch the documentary, 
mm-hmm. that came out of the thing, it's kind of boring. <laughs> like, they do not seem like they're having fun at all, um, which is fine, you know, and uh, the fun is on the page. But I was surprised by how boring the documentary about this really colorful game was. <laughs> was there uh, some of that information about the music style stuff? Um, just a, l- was- a little bit. They talked about wanting to mix the culture. Yeah. No. You know, the, the kind of youth culture there, but they didn't specifically talk about the shopping center and uh, and name check those bands. Right. Yeah, I didn't I didn't watch the uh, the, the documentary. Yeah. No, there's something about that first game that you like work to save up for. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For me, it was uh, Final Fantasy eight worked at a golf for, course. Yeah. Final Fantasy seven for me. Hmm. Yeah. To get my PlayStation and uh, and uh, eventually and I got um, it's kind of interesting looking back because the one he threw in a free game for me, um, with my PlayStation, the used game store. I worked at Taco Bell to get, um, so Final Fantasy seven. And then the, uh, I bought two games and there was two different paths in life. <laughs> one was Kingsfield one, okay, which I could play at the time foreshadowing my, you know, never in a million years. I think that company would become very important to me. <laughs> and the other one was, uh, like blood of Ravenloft or iron and Raven, iron and blood Ravenloft stories or whatever that fucking D and D fighting game was. On PlayStation 1, that's one of the worst games I've ever played. <laughs> so, Abject Suffering Material. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be great, Abject Suffering Material. There's a great skeleton in that. <laughs> um, like you, you get to be a real fun skeleton. Cool. <laughs> oh, um, so Sebastian writes in via contact uh, saying, to be honest, I didn't really like the first Jet Set Radio. I prefer its sequel, question mark, Jet Set Radio Future. Future feels more fast and fluid when compared to the original. And while I have uh, while I have beat Future multiple times, I've never beat the first game despite multiple attempts. I can understand why the game is so great, but it just feels slow to me compared to the sequel. Yeah, I have uh, I have no response. I never played the sequel. Neither have I. I don't, I don't know. And I'm interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, emulating Xbox or even just like, is it is it hard to find now? Or is it one of the weird games that Xbox 360 won't play? Uh, they, there, there was a big deal about it being put onto the backward compatibility. Okay. Um, list. Um, let me see here. Radio future. Um, because, uh, uh, it's one of those games that came with the Xbox, um, in a dual pack with a Sega GT 2002. Uh, and while the standalone version of just radio future is, um, uh, slightly more expensive, it was mm-hmm. emulatable, but the combo disc was not emulatable. So you can get this combo disc for like four bucks on Amazon now. Yeah, but that's not, you can't actually play that one. Well, you can now because they added it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now you can. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm vaguely curious, even though I do kind of stand by my statements that like, I don't know how much the more there is to do with this idea. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like they just kind of make it faster. Like I can understand it, appreciating the game feel mm-hmm. more. Um, yeah. And then I'm going to tag team this one out yes. to you halfway through because it's a long response. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's our final response from Jesse. And Jesse says, via contact, Jet Set Radio is the best video game ever made. Citation needed. Um, everything about it radiates style in the best way possible. The cartoony, cel-shaded graphics, the vibrant, colorful world, the graffiti, the offbeat J-Punk sensibility, the characters bobbing and dancing to the beat, the goddamn fantastic soundtrack. I love every single thing about the game's aesthetic, and I think it captures a certain kind of youthful, urban sensibility that feels honest and true, and like it really understands being footloose and fancy-free and doing what you love and fucking the rest. 
It's fundamentally a game not about combat or aggression, but about movement and self-expression, about fighting oppression, not with guns and violence, but with art and the simple act of being yourself and refusing to stop no matter how hard the cops and your corporate overlords want to make you. I don't think there's another game out there that so perfectly crafts a singular aesthetic statement, and I absolutely love its ethos of uh, positivity and rebellion with just enough edge to tell those old-school lamer grandpas to cram it down their windpipes and make way for the cyberdeck revolution. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The one uh, potential black mark, I think, is the actual play, the game feel, if you will, of controlling your character and getting around the world. I'm sure a lot of people are going to say something similar, so I want to establish up front, up front that I actually enjoy the way Jet Grit Radio plays on its own terms and for what it is. It's a heavily momentum-based game without much of a focus on tricks. Your movement tools, grinding and jumping and riding along walls, are more about getting you to places and preserving your momentum than pure acrobatics. You do get points for doing tricks, of course, but you don't have much control over them, and they really don't get you very far. The way to get a good rating on most levels is picking a character with high graffiti stat and completing every QTE in one go for the point bonus. And uh, if you're not doing that, it's hard to get enough points doing tricks to shore up the difference. Right. You want to take it from there, Cole? Yep. Once you learn the maps, how to control your momentum, and how to use the boost mechanic properly, Jet Set Radio can be a really rewarding and fun game to play. I'm pretty bad at it, but I have some idea of what I'm doing. And whenever I watch somebody new to the game playing, I drive myself nuts going, no, no, that's not how you do it. You're not boosting enough. You're not doing that grind. This isn't how you get to that graffiti spot in this level. Um, And I just can't deal. That said, while I think the weight of your character and how slow you are to build momentum and how plodding the game can feel as a result work within their mechanical context and what the game expects from you. They go, they kind of go against the whole high-flying, I'm a punk kid and fuck your parents ethos. I still think it works on the whole, and I'm okay with the designers expecting you to get good, but it makes it for a game that can be difficult to approach and turn some people off before they really give it a chance, which is a shame because goddamn Jet Set Radio is the best goddamn game ever made, goddammit. Sega, please make another Jet Set Radio, or at least put Jet Set Radio Future HD uh, on modern systems. I'm starving here, and those French guys called uh, sorry, and those French guys called their game Revolt of Gamers. I just can't get behind that, even though it might actually be the perfect video <laughs> game if it turns out half as awesome as as its concept. Yeah, Revolt of Gamers is the the game that's coming out that's based. You know, is it supposed to be a spiritual successor? Huh. This right? Yeah. Um, I also can't get by behind a revolt of gamers. Neither can I. That is, that's a loaded, loaded phrase that I, I dislike. <laughs> yep. It's a little bit reminiscent of recent events. Yes. So, uh, yeah. What's what, so? What's funny? And this is this is kind of raised raised early in the in the in the message here. And it's like I feel bad for not raising this in the actual episode. Is mm-hmm. uh, like how positive and genuine it feels. Like yeah. This could have been like in kind of like less tactful hands or in, you know, kind of less creative hands. The 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 rapping commercial that uh, what's his name? Brian Doyle Murray did at the beginning of Wayne's World. You know, it's hip. It's yeah. cool. It's Noah's Arcade, like co-opting like urban culture. You know, it it really could have come across as like, what the fuck are you guys doing? And instead, it like reads as like a celebration. Right, right. Yeah, it is it is an incredibly positive game and the idea of like fighting fighting bullets with art mm-hmm. even like is a cool idea even though like <laughs> there's there's no metaphor for it in the game. <laughs> like it's li- like the reason why you can fight bullets with art is because you can you're bulletproof. Right. Essentially. This, this isn't, you know, Mark Echo's getting up. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like sadly. Um whenever I whenever I see that I always get confused with like Umberto Echo's 
like <laughs> you get like getting up, which I'm sure is a joke that's been made before, but like, <laughs> yeah, I always think of that. Um, but yeah, the, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like it is very, very positive. It does have that going for it. It is about this kind of attitude and it, I think that part of the reason why, like, if I imagine an American jet grind radio, mm-hmm. I don't like it. Right. Like, I don't like American youth. <laughs> you know, I don't like, I was a shitty kid. There's nothing for me to romanticize about that. Like, mm-hmm. and there kind of is, like, and I will get aspects of that, you know, and playing certain games that will recall, like, Earthbound, I'll get little feelings of, like, going out and feeling like I'm on adventures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, youth punks, like, American punks. Yeah. Uh, I don't think are cool. <laughs> right. I, you know? In fact, I kind of hate them. Yeah. Like, it, it's just kind of a... So part of the reason why that youthful spirit of rebellion works and feels more romanticized, I think, is because of that layer of, like, cultural remove that's in the game. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just alien enough for me not to relate to it, to appreciate it. You know? Because I, I never related to this game. Like, I never... I am nonviolent. I don't think cops should shoot people. Mm-hmm. For no reason, but I'd never felt like, you know, I never identified with any of the characters here, right. you know, even though I appreciated the music and style and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it feels it feels fictitious enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's an it's an interesting like I never you know I didn't think about that when we were doing the episode, but it is an interesting feel mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's um, the uh, that's the that's the extent of the responses. Yeah, thanks, everybody. If you have uh, things to say about game books, mm-hmm. um, hit us up at duckfeed.tv forward slash contact or about Star Control 2 mm-hmm. or about Modern Warfare 4 or Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare there 1. We there we go. Um, the numbering in that system is <laughs> that series is fucked. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but, hit uh, us up. That's duckfeed.tv slash contact. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, stay, uh, you know, do all the normal things. Mm-hmm. And uh, stay tuned for some deleted scenes. Hello. Hello. What's up? It's Super Bowl Sunday. It is. This, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Super football. The Super football. The Patriots. They love our country. Yeah, they do. As opposed to those Seahawks that just want to cover it in bird shit. Yeah. With like predatory bird shit, so there's like little mouse skulls in it and stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, owl pellets. Not in my football America. No, no. <laughs> which is America, uh, except I applied in Photoshop a football texture over it. Yeah, yeah, it's the, good. Good call. The uh, the laces travel down the line of the old Mississippi ley lines. Yes, <laughs> Stevie Nicks's ley line chat. <laughs> I'd rather we not do that. You're on the ley line. Let's do you next. Yeah. I, and and I didn't do as much like homework and stuff as I wanted to do when I was on the road. Yep. Um, San Francisco, um, <laughs> for being like the internet city in the world, the Wi-Fi sucks universally. Huh. Like everywhere I was at, the Wi-Fi was terrible and would cut out. <laughs> And we had wired internet in our hotel room that was also unreliable, which I don't even understand how that works. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a, a volume thing. Like oh, all yeah, these yeah. shitty tech bros just constantly Googling each other and Ubering <laughs> each other. Like yeah, on their the, on their apps. The, the Google buses just prowling the streets, sucking up it all the internet to resell. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is uh, that when I was there, like I heard multiple people like having generic San Francisco tech conversations <laughs> like talking about like dis- like 
the best ways to engage user bases and like um, <laughs> ways to to revel, you know. Um, God, one of the, the I I ate breakfast behind these like, and they were really young too. It's mm-hmm. like these teens talking about um, finding ways to like streamline Amazon's distribution network or something like that. Like it's, it's really like so they were batting above their league and like. <laughs> Um, but it just constantly happened. Like it was just, it was such a, like, I haven't been in a city in a long time where like the stereotypes of the city were out in such full effect. Right. Um, so it's pretty crazy. No, it's uh, it's, it's one of those things. My first question about any project that I get is where are they based? Yeah. And if it's, if it's Bay area, it sets your expectation about kind of what you're going to hear. Yeah. 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 You definitely, uh, I could definitely pick that up. (laughs) That's so. hilarious, though. Yeah, yeah you know, I'm just, just a teenager. Just, I'm gonna well, you know, let's let's streamline Amazon's. To, you you understand that's all they do. Right? Yeah, the, the, <laughs> and they and they are also the biggest and and arguably best at it. Yeah. You know, like they this is, um, yeah, they were very young. Like they might have been teens, they might have been early college, but like mm, yeah, it's just having a lunch meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just it's so expensive there. Everything is so expensive there. Like not just rent, but like getting around, like, you know, yeah. transit, everything. I was just like resenting all of these people and. Mm-hmm. And how they are affording to live in that place. Yeah, I just don't understand how anybody does it. Mm-hmm. Like unless they're just uh, just insanely privileged. My understanding is, you know, just basically from from hearing uh, people. So this is hearsay. Is that all the rich people live in San Francisco and commute out, and all mm-hmm. of the uh, normies uh, live outside of San Francisco and commute in? It's it's just it's super gross to think about. Just you know, let's just have some poor people live outside of our city and like bus in to do our service work mm-hmm. <laughs> like and, I, that happens a lot in cities but it, it seems yeah. really underlined and and, and then also let, let's co-opt the, the 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 public infrastructure to bus our to, you know to bus our tech billionaires from the city out to the play you know the swamps where they uh where they do the actual like yahoo and google work yeah yeah it was kind of yeah it was kind of i mean i had a really good time and it was really beautiful but mm-hmm. there's the dark undercurrent yeah i'm kind of happy the last time i was there was like 2009 mm-hmm just because that was before it really got that way, I think. Yeah, it's getting worse. Like, I think there's always been an undercurrent of it, but I yeah. think it's getting worse. Yeah. Like, I, I went there, you know, with with Chris for GDC, and it was, like, a good experience. It felt like, oh, here's San Francisco, not, yeah. ugh, here's San Francisco. Yeah. There, there mm. are plenty of, of things that were good about it, too. Yeah. yeah. But just, uh, just a lot of kind of grossness. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fun. The, uh, I went to Alcatraz. Ooh. You ever done that? No, no, I haven't. I, I didn't have <sighs> enough time when I was out there. You got to, you got to try to like see if you can find a way to make that happen. I know that's <laughs> that's asking a lot. <laughs> no, I I really truly want to. Like I'm fascinated by that. Like I think a lot of people are. Yeah, it's it's great. Mm-hmm. Like it is. Uh, it's really you know really fun from like a, just an archaeology standpoint. Like just being somewhere where there's this really crazy history. Mm-hmm. Um, the audio tour. Like leading up to it, I was telling everybody, and you know, when you get to a place and someone you're like, Yeah, I'm doing Alcatraz and it's a tourist thing, people are like, Yeah, oh, cool, you know. Mm-hmm. But the locals aren't actually that into it. A lot of times, like everybody I talk to is just like, Yes, you know, mm-hmm. you gotta do it, it's great. And everyone's like, Do the audio tour, do the audio <laughs> tour. And uh the audio tour is incredible. Hmm. Like it is all uh it's all firsthand accounts. So it's like former guards and former inmates. Mm-hmm. doing all the narration and there's tons of foley so like when you're in an area and they're talking about some escape attempt like there's sound effects <laughs> that nice. go along with it and then the main guard who narrates it is like this just incredible hard ass who's just like he has all the people have voices that have characters that you don't hear anymore really mm-hmm. and he's just like you know 
walk along the cell block slowly. Consider what it would be like to stare out on the window. It's like he like <laughs> tells you what to feel. <laughs> and and um, you know, you should be facing a door that looks like this. <laughs> walk through it. On your left, like everything is in this like very steady voice, and you're just getting yelled at the entire time, and it's really appropriate. <laughs> That's um, great. And there was a like an artist there who had like an exhibit in an area that you're not usually supposed to get into, mm-hmm. which was also the creepiest hauntedest area. And I'll send you pictures because oh, it was the do. psych ward and hospital <laughs> area. So it was amazing. Um, and then, uh, they also had a guy who was like one of the oldest living, uh, former inmates, inmates who had written a book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we talked to that guy for a little bit. Huh. Um, yeah, he was a, a counter, he used to make counterfeit paychecks and he's essentially been in prison almost all of his natural life. Like he got out four years ago hmm. and he's just, you know, and, and also one of the things I didn't expect, but, uh, the Alcatraz tour is kind of a bummer too. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you didn't expect that? <laughs> yes, like, oh, and here's where a bunch of Indians were shot. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, they, they, we, even the prison stuff is just like, like it's this weird balance between like these guys were monsters. We romanticize them. Mm-hmm. They were monsters. Mm-hmm. However, this was a terrible human rights violation. Right. You know, in the shape of an island. Like, it's just it's really that, intense. That's kind of the situation with uh, uh, OSR, that big spooky mm. prison. Like, I love going there and going on tours, but it's a bummer to be there with people who actually worked there because it's not in, it's not in any of the official materials. But it's like, yeah, this is where we take people and just whip the shit out of them with mag lights. Yeah, like, it's like uh, uh, I, 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 I'm very uncomfortable with that. Didn't have to do that. Nope. <clears throat> and uh, Bob has a parrot. An African gray parrot, which you may or may not know. I'm aware of this, yes. Um, named Louis. And Bob was in a hurry to go. And like when we were hanging out, he was kind of sick, so I didn't see him all that often. But mm-hmm. I hung out at his house for a little while. And uh, I knew that parrots like talk. But mm-hmm. for some reason, I didn't put together that it would talk in Bob's voice. <laughs> so like as soon as he left, like it's just like Bob behind me going like, okay. <laughs> okay. And then you look over and he's like hanging like a bat with his head like tilted at like a crazy angle. <laughs> Just like, and opens it all like, okay, it's in Bob's voice. <laughs> Bird. It's so weird. It is so, so weird. Um, that sounds like, like a fever dream, Gary. It was, it was, it was really creepy. Um, and it's, it's, he does, um, he says, okay. He signs off of like phone conversations. So he's okay. Okay. Bye. Love you. Bye. You know, like he signs off phone conversations. He's, uh, he sniffs, he burps and he goes, nah. <laughs> but it's all like exactly and then he does a truck backing up and I, I guess like he came pre-installed with that I guess is, okay. is, if I remember right but like he it's stock it's, option yes like every every African gray parrot comes with um, truck backing up but like it's just it's exactly in Bob's voice it's so strange yeah it is really really weird um, and then he also like I was talking to Bob about it and it's crazy like he he associates like animals associate certain noises with certain things. Like my cat will meow in a certain way when it wants food or Mm -hmm. when it's time to eat. The same thing happens with Louie, but since he's just repeating things he's heard, the things have, and he's speaking English, Mm -hmm. he has this association. So like when it's time to go to bed, he's like time for bed, Louie. Like, and it's, it just adds this extra strange layer. Yeah. You know, like he's just saying that, or like if he's being bad, he's like, you're being bad, Louie. Stop it, Louie. Stop it. When he's doing something bad. If you know just it, he's then you used to hearing that. Yeah. Well, he does like he doesn't know it, yeah, which I is know. the weird thing. Yep, it's just like it's so but it's so hard to know. Like if he was uh Bob was 
was sick, was feeling sick, and he was like laying down. He's like, just keep an eye on him and make sure he doesn't get on the floor because he might show on wires. And he would start moving towards the floor and he'd be like, stop it, Louie. You're being bad, Louie, walking towards the floor. And then I would look at him and just be like, what are you doing, buddy? And then he'd go back up <laughs> into the cage. Um, but it was because, just because he knew you spotted him. Yeah, exactly. Like he didn't, it didn't matter what, but he was telling me what he was doing. Like, <laughs> he was so like giving it away. It's so weird. It's such a weird animal. 